so she can get up here and get started, all right? So uh, bow your heads with me, please. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your graciousness to us. We thank you for this beautiful day, such crisp weather. And uh, Father, we are very grateful um, for this church. We're very grateful um, that they are hospitable and agreeable and gracious to us, allowing us to uh, meet here. And we are, so we are very thankful for them. We pray you will bless them. And Lord, we thank you for Angela, who was um, willing and working hard to bring us our lecture today. I pray, Father, that um, you will help her say the things you have laid on her heart to share with us. And Father, I pray we will be receptive so that we might grow and be more like your son, Jesus. These things we pray in his name. Amen. Try that. Oh, look. There we are. Small, you know, technical. I gotta clip it back on. There we go. All right. Well, um, on the weekends, um, sometimes my mom and my sister, and if I can drag a kid or two along, we like to spend um, our time thrift store shopping. You know, thrift store, you know, a lot of times we don't buy anything except when it's coming up to Christmas, and I have this weird obsession with um, Christmas pillows. But um, for the most part, you know, we just spend a lot of time shopping. And well, about a year or so ago, I was walking through the store, and I came around a corner, and I saw this, it, this thing. And I took a picture of it, and I sent it to Karen Davis. And I said, stop what you're doing right now. I found the Ark of the Covenant. This one, I <laughs> And it was. It was a full-size Ark of the Covenant sitting right there in the middle of the thrift store. And so in typical Karen fashion, she sent back, for heaven's sakes, don't touch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, well, good news, it's on 50% off day. It's $7.50, do you want me to buy it? <laughs> she said, I think I'm good. Go ahead and leave it there. Um, but so, you know, the Ark of the Covenant kind of plays some interesting role in today's lesson, and it, I was thinking of that um, as I was preparing for it about, um, because we kind of, the, we joked on for a couple moments where I said, I'm going to peek inside, there's a pole here, I'll use that to <laughs> pop the top off, you know, and so she had a lot of fun joking at my expense about what was going to happen, you know, she'd tell my children that I loved them, all those things, um, so... But if you'll open your Bibles, we are going to look today in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and 5, and we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant and what happens when people come in contact with the Ark of the Covenant in interesting ways. Um, so we're going to start, and we're, oh man, look at me, I'm getting, Luann has a new clicker thing, and it's really fancy, sorry, I got a little button happy there. All right, so we're going to look, and we're going to start in verse 2. Um, and it says, And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined the battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. When the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, 
Wherefore has God smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah out of Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the hands of our enemies. Well, we um, are going to be talking today about a couple different things. So I wanted to spend a minute and do some um, background information. But if you're keeping score, if you um, we're going to keep score. So far, verse 2 of the verse of the chapter, right? We got Philistines, we got one. They just won the battle. So the Philistines won, the Israelites zero. They've not put anything on the board yet. Um, But so let's talk about who the Philistines were um, for just a couple minutes. If you're new to Bible study, you may think, what? I don't even know who these people are. If you're old to Bible study and you have not read the Old Testament for a little bit, this will be a good refresher for you. But so the Philistines um, have been around for a while. We kind of think they show up just periodically, like, oh, I know there was one of them named Goliath. And, you know, they, you, you hit one or two, but the Philistines have actually been around. They migrated into Israel during the time of the judges from Crete. Um, they lived basically in this five major cities where you would think of as today's the Gaza Strip. And this is um, just a larger map of kind of what you have when you came in this morning. Um, you got um, a little map passed out, and it's just going to show you. It kind of blows up for you. Um, so if you didn't get one, make sure you grab one on your way. But it blows up for you some of the areas here. So the Philistines live down here. You can see that, and this is the area on your map. Um, and so we have been talking about Shiloh, which is up here. So you can see it's not too far. Um, so they're kind of in a close proximity. But so that's where the Philistines kind of were um, in the land there. And they really had those five major cities that, um, that they were uh, populated. The Philistines had iron weapons. They had brought them um, when they migrated into the land. They had brought um, the process of making weapons out of iron from um, the Greeks. Um, and they were a constant thorn in the Israelites' side. Samson in the book of Judges, um, we see Samson encountered them. Um, they don't go away. We see later in Saul that, um, or in Samuel, excuse me, that there were giants. We see um, David and Goliath comes up later and that he was one of the Philistines. And we meet some of Goliath's sons in 2 Samuel. Um, they, so they were big people. They were warriors and they were fierce. Um, and they just trounced the Israelites um, in a battle. Um, so the... Um, the nation of Israel was reeling in shock. Um, and the, they start in verse 3, and they say, Why did the Lord let us be defeated today? 4,000 soldiers had just died in battle. To put that in perspective for you, in an 11-year gap um, during the uh, um, Iran conflict, 2003 to about 2011, you know, we were over there and um, we didn't even lose 4,000 people. So 4,000, a lot of people um, killed in one battle. And so the Israelites were in shock. They recognized that the Lord allowed them to be defeated. They asked the right question. Why did God let this happen? But they came up with the wrong answer. So, and we're going to talk through some things about why they came up with the wrong answer um, and what that has to do with us today. So the Israelites were far from God. We've already seen in the last couple chapters um, that the people were in the cycle of sin and rebellion. The priests, Eli, Hopni, and Phinehas were corrupt, right? So we've we've already experienced what's been happening with the, the leadership 
Um, but instead of self-reflection, instead of saying, what, what did we do to cause this ha to happen? They turned to a pattern behavior that they had kind of picked up from the pagan nations that they were surrounded with. Um, all of a sudden they said, we've got, I, I've got a great idea. Let's bring God with us into battle, just like the pagans do. They would bring their idols. So they said, let's bring the, the Ark of the Covenant into battle. So let's talk for just a minute of what is the Ark of the Covenant, um, in case those are words that you're like, you know, what exactly was that? Um, so the Ark of the Covenant shows up back in Exodus chapter 25. God um, was giving instructions to the nation of Israel, and he wanted them to understand the holiness of God. And so he gave them very specific instructions for what this Ark, which was basically a box, and it's actually not very large, um, you know, in your mind, or at least in mind sometimes you picture it, and it's this massive, it's just this big thing and it's it's not um according to scripture it's about four feet long about two feet wide it's um, got gold overlay there is um on the top of it there's um, some cherubim that are on the top and their wings touch and so here's a picture just to give you an idea um and this the top of it was called the mercy seat um and then inside because it was a box so you could open it and inside were the tablets that moses brought down um, a pot of manna, and Aaron's rod, which um, if you'll remember that Aaron um, had a, a rod and it budded. And so that, those things were inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the Holy of Holies. So it was kept in the, taberna er, in the tabernacle. Um, back behind a curtain, no one saw it. Okay, the, the high priest would see it once a year when he would go in to the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice. But other than that, no one saw the Ark of the Covenant. It couldn't be touched, which is why Karen said, for heaven's sakes, don't touch it. Um, because um, this was a representation of the holiness of God. And so it could only be carried by those poles that are down there on the bottom. Um, it, when it had to be moved, there um, they, they had to cover it, right? It was draped over with cloth um, that was carried by um, the priests on by these poles. No one was to touch it. Um, so he, here we have this ark that's in the Holy of Holies. It's the representation of God. And God told the, um, the Israelites back in Exodus, he said, there I will meet with you. And so what would happen is he would, um, there would be uh, manifestation of God's presence between these two cherubim, right? So between the wings, right? Um, that's where God would meet with them at the mercy seat. And so God said, I'll meet with you there. And so that is what they said, you know what we should do? We lost. And so in order to win, we're going to take this with us because if we take this, that's where God is. We're going to take God with us into the battle. Now, they didn't bother to ask God. Nowhere, I keep reading it, and nowhere in there does it say, let's ask God what we should do, but they could have. Back up in verse 1, um, we, and we skipped it, but right here in verse 1, it says, and Samuel's words came to all of Israel. So, there he is. Um, in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, it tells us that from Dan to Beersheba, all of Israel knew that Samuel was a prophet of God. Everyone knew it. Dan to Beersheba is like saying from sea to shining sea, right? <laughs> you know what that means. The whole, the whole thing, all of them. Everyone knows Samuel is God's man in the land of Israel. But nowhere does it say they asked him what they should do. They didn't pray. They didn't say, let's ask God. 
They did nothing. They came up with this idea that they're going to take the battle, this um, Ark of the Covenant into the battle. And so what happens next? Wait, here we go. So we, you know what happens next, right? They take the ark into the battle with them because now they're confident that this is going to be what is going to push them over. And the Philistines hear the excitement when they bring the ark back into the camp and everybody's cheering so loud that the ground is shaking and the Philistines said, wow, they brought their God with them. We're going to have to fight harder. And so they go into battle and instead of the result the Israelites were expecting, they lose, and they lose in a big, big way. And then you see this tragic scene where the ark has been captured, the people are defeated, and this one lone guy goes running back, and Eli is waiting, sitting by the gate, and he says, what happened? What, what's all this noise? What's going on? And the man says, your sons are dead, and the ark of the covenant has been taken by the Philistines. And Eli, the Bible tells us, falls off his seat breaks his neck, and dies. And this is the end of the legacy of Eli. And we're going to stop right here for a second because it's kind of sobering. Um, because we've already seen some prophecies. We know that from um, the beginning of the book of Samuel, when Samuel is first in the, um, the, the temple area there with Eli, and he wakes up in the middle of the night and has this conversation with God, and God says, listen, Eli's sons are done. The, the line of Eli is over. Um, well, it's been a little while, right? We don't know exactly how long, but it's been a little while, and now those words are coming true. Um, and so the legacy of Eli ends like this. His descendants wouldn't see old age, and that they would die violently by the sword. We see that in chapter 2. His line was removed from the priesthood. Um, his sons were killed in battle. We see that both of them died on the same day, just like Scripture said. And he dies, and this is literally the last thing we see about Eli here, that he dies blind, old, and fat. That's how scripture describes him. That's his closing epitaph here in scripture. Forty years he had been a judge and a priest, um, and his legacy is that he died on the side of the road, essentially, um, upon hearing that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines. That was sobering to me to realize after 40 years, that's, that's how we remember him. You don't hear anything that may have happened good. You don't hear anything that he may have done correctly. Um, he died broken um, and a failure of what he was supposed to do. So the Israelites took the ark. The Philistines fought harder. They lost. 30,000 soldiers died. And so everything is in disarray. So now if we are still keeping score now, we're at Philistines 2 and the Israelites 0. Right? The scoreboard is not going in our favor. And so when we move on to chapter 5 here, um, so the Philistines now have the Ark of the Covenant. And so they've taken it back with them. And it says in chapter 5, after the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They brought it to the temple of Dagon. They placed it next to a statue. When the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the Lord, before the Ark of the Lord. So they took him and returned him to his place. But when they got up early the next morning, there he was again, fallen with his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And this time his head and the palms of his hands were broken off, lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why to this day the priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon and Ashdod does not step on Dagon's threshold. So who was Dagon? Let's talk about him for just a second so that we have an idea. He was a fish man. He was the first merman. Um, 
right? His, the name actually means little fish. It's a derivative of the word dag, which is a fish. So he was the fish god, one of the national gods of the Philistines. It had the body of a fish with a heads and hands of a man. Um, it was a deity that was kind of introduced among the Philistines when they were in Chaldea. Um, and they had temples to him, right? He, the, there was a famous one in Gaza. Um, Ashdod was a large place of worship for him. He's considered to be the father of Baal, which we know Baal worship from um, other studies in the Old Testament. Um, but so this is their God. And so they have a temple to him with some statues in it. And they bring the, t- the Ark of the Covenant in and they put it in the temple here in front of, or, or next to where Dagog is. And so we've got some pictures here. Um, and there's two, there, this one here. I thought it was kind of funny because they're peeking around the corner. But um, they apparently they didn't actually read the scripture when they did this one because it says he fell on his face. and <laughs> So they're close. They're so close. Um, but so this one down here, it's a little harder to see it than black and white. But so here he's falling on his face and his head's over here and his arm's there. And, and all the people are like, oh, what do we do? This little guy over here in the corner is my favorite. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so he... Um, the great thing about this part of scripture is that their first reaction is to help their God out. <laughs> oh no, he's fallen and he can't get up. And so they stand him up, they put him back up on his pedestal. Um, and then they come in the next day and he's broken. And so there's this great scene where, you know, they've like grabbed the super glue and they're like, gluing his hands back together. Have you ever tried to super glue a statue back together? It never looks right. The hand is always wrong. I have one that broke. It fell off a shelf, and it's um, a woman playing the violin, and her hand, she'll never hold a violin correctly again because <laughs> I glued it back on wrong. Um, but so they're helping out God. They're God, right? They're putting him back together because he's fallen down and shattered right in front of this Ark of the Covenant. And so the Philistines are just beside themselves. Their their God is crumbling. They don't know what to do. So we're going to leave them for just a second, and we're going to go back to the nation of Israel because why did God allow this slaughter to happen, and why would he have let the Ark of the Covenant be taken? And those are questions that I hope you stopped and went, wait, why? Why God surely could have whisked away the Ark He could have hidden it somewhere. He could have defeated them. He could have done all these things. Why did it happen? Well, God used this opportunity to bring an end to the evil ways of Hopni and Phineas, right? Um, He said, "You, you, you need to stop. This must end, and I will not abide by it. And so God promised they are going to be removed. Um, and they were in a very um, gory way. Eli died, right? It tells us um, in chapter 2, verse 31, that Eli would be the last old man in his line. Think about that. The last man to reach old age. In other words, his descendants were not going to live very long. Phineas's wife, you read, died in childbirth, and she names her son Ichabod. No glory. The glory has left. Um, there are some who think that immediately after this battle, um, and we don't know exactly when the timeline is, but at some point after the Shiloh, which is where the Ark of the Covenant had been um, held, where it was kept, um, was destroyed. They they destroyed it. And God in Jeremiah later says, you want to see how I dealt with my people? Go look at Shiloh. God didn't punish the nation of Israel because of the bad deeds of Hopni and Phinehas, even though they were terrible guys. They were corrupt. 
They did a lot of things wrong. They were deserving of death, and they got it. But God punished the entire nation, not because of them, but because of the sin of the entire nation. And Phineas's wife, who said the glory has left Israel, was right, but she was also wrong. She made it sound as though the glory left Israel because the ark had been taken. But the glory did not leave when the ark was taken. The ark was taken because the glory had left Israel. And when you get that backwards, you've got everything wrong. This is the problem with idols or tradition and ritual. The nation of Israel used the Ark of the Covenant like their own rabbit's foot, right? It was a good luck charm for them. They could carry it with them, and then good things were going to happen. But the problem with that is when it doesn't work, then you feel betrayed. You're let down. You give up. And that's what we see happen with Phineas, Phineas's wife. Her trust was in that box. And when that didn't perform, everything was lost. And so you can contrast that. I was thinking about the, um, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were being, um, they said, bow down or we're going to throw you into the furnace. And they said, our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. So they had their trust placed in God, not in something else. And so you see here the nation of Israel has put their trust in this box. Um, and so if you're keeping score here, we're going to go back to our little scoreboard here. The Philistines are still at two. The Israelites are still at zero. But the actual reality is God wins. And let's talk about why and how. So Israel made some serious mistakes. They said, let us take it. Right? They, they came up with this plan. They trusted their own wisdom. We've got an idea. I know what we're going to do. And so they said, let's take it. It wasn't even, let's have God go with us. They said, let us take it. So the ark was their lucky charm. The ark was never meant to be a substitute for God. Deuteronomy 20 verse 4 says, The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. But the Israelites were trusting in the ark. They weren't trusting in God. They disregarded the commands about the ark. God told them exactly what to do with that ark, and it was not toted around with them anytime they needed a quick fix for a victory. They wanted the blessings of God without repentance. They were a nation in turmoil. Hopney and Phineas set a precedent for things that were happening in worship. They set a precedent for things that were happening within the nation itself. It was kind of a reflection of the nation of Israel. Um, they knew that Hopney and Phineas were doing wrong. They didn't care, and they didn't stop it, and they didn't repent. And they misidentified the source of God's glory and power. They were consumed with the ark instead of the one who met them there. So the, the the nation of Israel made a lot of mistakes in this situation. The nation of or the Philistines also made some mistakes. What did the, the Philistines do? They trusted in their own strength. They said, hey, you know what? We're going to fight harder. We could still take this. They viewed the ark as a lucky charm too. Oh no, they brought the ark. We're going to lose. Fight harder. So they thought that there was something associated with the ark, which is why when they got a hold of it, they took it back at and put it in their own private trophy case so that they could look at it and gloat and remember that they had defeated the lucky charm. They disregarded what they knew about God. This is the God who put the plagues on the Egyptians. So they knew 
that there was something to the God of Israel, but they still disregarded it. And they refused to acknowledge the true God. The Philistines continued to hold on to their idols. Instead of admitting that there may be something going on when that Dagon statue kept falling over, they just tried to hold on to both. Right? They propped him back up, they glued him back together, and said, you'll be fine, Dagon, no one will notice. Looks completely normal. <laughs> um, but they tried to hold on to both. And they kept passing the ark from city to city. This is the, like, this whole chapter, just, I love this chapter. They kept passing it from city to city, even though everywhere it went, it brought destruction. So the people were breaking out in what some translated as hemorrhoids. I hope you had some great conversation about this in your group. So many things I could have done with this. So many things. Um, but so some people thought that they were, um, they were hemorrhoids. Other translators think that it was more along the lines of a bubonic plague or some kind of plague that would break, cause them to break out in um, tumors. Either way, it was disgusting and painful, and it happened everywhere they took the ark. So they kept just moving it. The great thing is, is that they kept sending it to their own people. Like... Thank you. It's like that white elephant gift that you can't get rid of. Do you have one of those in your, in your family? You just keep passing it. Around. But so they kept set, passing it back and pa- passing it to someone else. And they said, don't send it. Don't, we don't want it. Don't bring it here. And the, the same thing would happen. And so they were breaking out in these. They did not take A and B and come up with God. Right? They came up with all sorts of other reasons. But they tried to hold on to that and their false gods. The Israelites showed a striking similarity to the Philistines, didn't they? They were trusting in something other than God. They put their trust in a box made by man as opposed to the one who made man. They made ritual more important than relationship. They worshiped the created instead of the creator. Do you find that we do this? Did you see some similarities here in superstition and tradition and ritual? My friend and I have this little game that we play every year. Um, And we scour the store starting about the day after Valentine's Day when all the Easter stuff hits the shelves. And we try to see who can be the first one to find a chocolate cross. Because in the Easter decorations, you will find crosses made out of chocolate for people to buy. And so our thing is always nothing says salvation like our Savior's cross made out of chocolate. And so we, um, and, and so it's just become our own little like, oh, missing the mark. But you know who makes a cross out of chocolate? Someone who has no idea of the meaning behind the cross. It has become a ritual, a symbol, a superstition, more than something that's meaningful. That's why you see athletes who use every swear word and then make up more, And then when they win a game, they'll pull their cross necklace out of their jersey and say, thanks to God that I won. And you're like, dude, what? (laughs) What? That's become a superstition and a ritual. Unless you think that it's just for people who don't know God, the nation of Israel who did know God got involved in their own forms of superstition. The Ark of the Covenant was important. It was valuable. God designed that, but they took it and they twisted it, and we did the same thing in worship. When you start with things like, we've always done it this way. If I do this, then God will. But I prayed, God. I go to church, God. I teach Sunday school, God. We are in danger of putting the ritual 
and the superstition above the relationship with God. The, the reality is, is that there was very little difference between the Israelites and the Philistines at this point. And so while the Israelites were very superior in their feelings of, but we know God, they didn't know God, which is why God left them to their own devices. It reminded me of um, a quote. Um, the Lion of Judah, this is the quote, sorry, I went too far in my notes. The Lion of Judah will not be reduced to a rabbit's foot. The Philistines thought they were safe because they had captured the ark and put it in their trophy case. The power, though, wasn't in the box. The glory wasn't in the box. That was just a physical reminder of the presence of God. God won't take a back seat to the idol of the Philistines, which is why every time they put it in there, their idol bowed. Their idol was reduced to the ground in the presence of the true God. They could disregard God, but they couldn't control him. This reminded me of the quote um, that came from C.S. Lewis, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and um, Luce, or Susan excuse me, is talking to the beaver, and she said, Aslan is a lion, or the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, said, Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said the beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king, I'll tell you. In this um, story, which is wonderful, um, the, the lion, she was scared because is a lion safe? And he's not safe. He's a lion. The Ark of the Covenant, they thought they were safe because they had tucked it away in their trophy case and they put it next to their gods and they were just going to tote it along with them and they thought they were safe. The reality is there's nothing safe about it, but he is good and he's just and he's merciful, but he is God and he is holy. And so there's no safety. You can't control God and he doesn't act on your whim or your desires. So is he safe? Can you control God to do what you want? No, but he is good, and he is the king, and he is God. Some lessons that we can take from this. Raise your children to love and honor God. What a cautionary tale for parenting this section of scripture should be. The life of Eli with his children. Um, I just kept saying that to myself this week as I would say no to my children about things that they would ask. Can I? No. Why not? Because someday <laughs> um, I, I want to be someone who that I like you, and I, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. But um, we see what happens when children are raised and they don't love and honor God. Um, finish well. Eli served 40 years, and he did not end well, right? So um, the, the ending of his life, who would want that to be the last thing written about you? Listen to the voice of God. The nation of Israel disregarded the voice of God. They didn't even bother to go look for the voice of God. He had been silent for so long, and suddenly now everyone knew Samuel was God's man, and they still didn't go asking. Worship the true God, not idols or tradition or ritual. Do you find yourself saying, oh, I'm sure I'm fine. I'm sure this is exactly what God would want me to do or think. And then ask yourself, do I have true faith? How can you know if your faith is true or based on superstition? Is it anchored in scripture? There's so many verses. I just put a couple up here. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. How do you know where your faith is, pl is placed? Is it in something true? God tells you. Um, is your faith God-centered? In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. In today's world of there are so many ways to God, everyone has their own path. No, there's one. So is your faith placed in, in a God-centered um, um, idea? Do you value relationship over ritual? First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died sins for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus where you're recognizing and acknowledging the power of, of what he did for you? And do you have peace in spite of adversity? Jesus never said, accept me, follow me, and it's sunshine and, ra and rainbows for the rest of your life. But he does, does say in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We can have true faith. And in living the true faith, then you are safe. And the Ark of the Covenant is a blessing, and it's a reminder of who we put our faith in. It's not something to be shuttled around and used as a trophy. Um, and in closing, um, it just reminded me in 2 Timothy 3, 5, um, the verse that says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof from such turn away. And I think today it's so easy to get sucked into things that have a form of godliness, but have no idea where that power is coming from. And so I think, ladies, that as you go through the day, I was so convicted just of things that become ritual or superstition in my own life that I was like, oh, no. And then I realized, no, you know what? I'm putting my trust in the wrong thing. And so I hope that you um, were struck, not with hemorrhoids and not with tumors, but with the reality of having a relationship with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reminders that we can have a true relationship with you. Um, God, I pray that every woman here would make sure that their heart is in relationship with you, that they've placed their trust in the living God, not in a ritual, not in a tradition or a superstition. Lord, I pray that you would just take these words with us as we go through the week and that we would be a blessing to all we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anyone have questions on this very interesting little set of chapters? Oh, going once. Oh, yes. The Ark has very specific ways they could interact with it in the Holy of Holies. Yes. Besides just God allowing it to be removed, so could you do with any of the reason why that would be so easy to pull it out and release that? Well, so her question was the Ark had some very specific things. God was very specific in how they were to interact with it. So why did God allow it to be just hauled out of there and taken along? Well, I think at the end of the day, God was going to use that for his own purposes. Um, also, man has free will. Think of, uh, so they were going to go in there and take it. It was, at the end of the day, it was just a box. And so while it did represent God, it wasn't God. And so that box, they were going to take it. God said, okay. <laughs> um, and so they, I mean, you think about even other times people went into the Holy of Holies um, and the things that happened there. God, God didn't stop them because they, they did make that choice. Um, but yeah, he could have at any point and he didn't, which is very interesting. Anything else? All right. Thank you, ladies. Have a wonderful week.